and welcome to the F1 Strategy Report for Tweewind, the Twitter time shifter. On this week's edition, the Singapore Grand Prix, could Nico Rosberg actually win the championship? And would Formula One be better if Sebastian Vettel had a suspension failure every weekend? That's all to come on this edition of the Strategy Report. My name's Michael Laminato, and joining me on the line now is a man who's been everywhere. You might know him from James Allen on F1.com. I've given it away already. His name's James Allen. How are you? Hi, how are you going, Michael? Very, very well. We finally, I'm glad to say after a couple of races, we've had a really strategically interesting race. I mean, it mightn't have been action-packed wall-to-wall, but the strategy on track was really, really interesting. And I want to start at the very beginning, and that's that the first question that was answered was that Mercedes had cured whatever problems were afflicting it this time last year. Uh, Are we any clearer as to knowing exactly what those problems were that enabled it to execute what was a reasonably typical Mercedes win? Yes, and of course you have to go back before last year to say that they were always pretty effective in in Singapore. So um, it w- last year was a real outlier. Um, and the best information I can get on it is that essentially, you know, tyres are weird and wonderful things. And a lot of people feel we talk too much about tyres these days in Formula One. And I have to say, I think probably on balance, I agree with that. I think it's a little bit too much. That said, of course, Michael, you know, I'm a massive fan of strategy as a you. And that's the tactical thinking that goes behind it. So I love all of that stuff. But the tyres themselves, I think they should just quietly get on with the job. Uh, <laughs> anyway, what happened What happened last year was that the super soft tyre, there, there was something strange going on, on on not only the Mercedes, but also the Williams car, whereby the, the temperature that the block of the tyre, the main core of the tyre was, was operating at, and the temperature the surface was operating at, there was a mismatch between the two things. And that super soft tyre last year on that particular track, in those track conditions with 23 corners and high temperatures, was, was, was a very peaky tyre. In other words, the, 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 the sweet spot you needed to get it into was very narrow, and Mercedes and Williams could not get it into that window. Now, that was last year, of course, the qualifying tyre, because they only brought two compounds, the super soft and the soft. And Mercedes really, really struggled uh, in qualifying and, and when they had to run that tyre in the race. They were a bit more sure-footed on the soft tyre but it was too late by then for them. This year, uh, two things happened. First of all, obviously with the new rules, we have three tire compounds at every race now. So the ultra soft was the qualifying tire. And the important point about the ultra soft is it's the only new tire available in the selection this year in 2016. And it's a better tire for that because it's a bit more advanced in terms of technology than the other range, which is essentially what we've been using for the last couple of years. So the ultra soft was the qualifying tire and a tire that the Mercedes goes pretty well on anyway. All we can really say about Mercedes and and the softer end of the tyres is you don't see as big a performance gap between them and the rest when we're on the softer end of the tyre range. But nevertheless, the car works really well on it. So that's why last year Mercedes struggled. This year they didn't. But also why, if you look very carefully across the weekend, they never really wanted to use the super soft tyre. Hamilton was earmarked to do a test on it on Friday afternoon but had a hydraulic failure, so never ran it. Both Hamilton and Rosberg ran it first practice on Saturday and learned what they, Mercedes thought they would learn, which is they didn't like it very much. And so it only appeared in that final stint of Hamilton's at the end of the Grand Prix, uh, just as a sort of throw of the dice because he had nothing to lose. And it worked because he undercut uh, Raikkonen. So that was that was it, basically. And, and that explains 
you know why they 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 messed up last year and why they they um they didn't use the super soft really this year at all i think it was really interesting that for it's well, almost the third race in a row they didn't quite go for it in italy but red bull racing's always been toying and threatening with the idea in q2 which is the session of qualifying where you get the tires you're going to start the race on went for that super soft now ultimately that didn't play a massive part in the race as they stopped at the same time as hamilton did daniel ricardo but did we did you did we think and did you think that th- there should have been more advantage in terms of a longer first stint by choosing that tyre? Well, the, the key thing about for them of using that tyre is twofold. The first thing is it, it, you're not going to beat Mercedes by doing the same thing as them. When it was clear Mercedes had the faster car, so they expected Mercedes to, to be certainly on pole and maybe front row. Dan did a brilliant job to get himself on the front row. Hamilton underperformed. So uh, a, an early kind of advantage there, if you like, from, for Red Bull from that point of view. But they weren't. They knew they were up against a Mercedes that was on form, and they're not going to beat them by doing the same. So they decided to go for the super soft. Uh, firstly, so to give themselves an opportunity to try something different, but secondly, because it gives them more strategic um, options and possibilities in the opening part of the Grand Prix, uh, particularly in the event of a safety car, because there's always a safety car in Singapore, and of course, inevitably, we had one right at the start for the for the shunt of Falkenberg. So. The, the the strategy guy at Red Bull is is one of the best in the business. He gave himself lots of opportunity, lots of different uh, po- uh, options, and in the end, he decided to go with a super soft, super soft led strategy. They never even used the ultra soft in the race, which I kind of predicted they wouldn't. They stayed away from it altogether, and um, and 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 it was it proved to be a, a very good strategy. I don't think Ricardo could have gone any faster in that race than he did. He, he left nothing on the table. And as a final note, as we tick off the protagonists from qualifying, uh, we talk about Red Bull racing possibly in the rage to challenge Mercedes, even without necessarily the outright pace where does that leave Ferrari because I'll be Sebastian Vettel wasn't in Q3 he was knocked out at the very beginning but Kimi Raikkonen he was I think a second off pole Ferrari should have expected more here given that well they pole and and won the race this time last season uh, a little bit I think but I just think it is a reflection of of what's caused the problems at Ferrari and that's that's kind of why you know Mark and Allison fell out is because they haven't made the progress from 12 months ago to now that um that Red Bull and Mercedes have made and and I think that's obviously a source of disappointment that said you know I agree with Vettel when he says that they've not really been able to show what they could do uh, this season on, on a number of occasions they should have got better results than they have the car has been a bit faster in certain situations but generally speaking the problem for Ferrari this year and particularly now is the car is just isn't quite fast enough interestingly as well I thought Raikkonen was the faster of the two Ferrari drivers all weekend, you know, which is unusual given Vettel's extraordinary track record at Singapore, four times a winner. So uh, it shows you, I think, how much Raikkonen's uh, back on his A game uh, that that was the case. I think what's interesting as we get into the race now is that there was a lot of talk about potential problems in terms of Mercedes brakes. And we know they've had a history of some brake problems. They run everything to the limit. But this was ultimately about management and really played into how they thought they would perform in the race. And in Rosberg, we see, I guess, the uh, perfect example of that where he could manage the brakes and still have all that performance. I mean, how beneficial is putting everything at the margin for Mercedes when executing their strategy, even if everything is sort of a little bit on the edge like the brakes were in Singapore? I think that's a really good question, Michael. You know, and, it, and it, what also is impressive, I think, is is to factor into that as well, the degree to which Rosberg has matured as a Grand Prix driver now in terms of managing that whole situation, you know. Uh, and I think this was probably one of his best ever Grand Prix weekends, certainly one of his strongest race drives because of coping with that 
that managing that break situation. And if you look at the rate at which Ricardo was catching him in the final stint and the way he allowed that to happen whilst managing the situation, but then leaving a bit in reserve just to keep Ricardo at arm's length in those final two or three crucial laps so that he could cross the line uh, with four tenths of a second advantage. It doesn't matter whether it's four tenths or 40 seconds. The important thing is you cross the line first. And that was, I thought, brilliant by Rosberg and, to be fair, brilliant by Tony Ross, his race engineer, and, and, and the team around them. So, yes, you know, they do push everything to the limit. Of course they do. Having said all of that, when I did a little bit of digging after the Grand Prix, just talking to some of the team and what have you, I'm not sure that the problem was as acute as the radio messages rather implied that it was on both his car and Hamilton's car. Hamilton, after the race, was just, when I spoke to him about his strategy and would this have been better and you were asking for, for a more aggressive strategy early on, you didn't get it, how do you feel about that? He said, my race had nothing to do with strategy. I was just managing brakes and that was a, it was a very frustrating evening. Now, it suits Hamilton's narrative to say that because obviously he wasn't on his A-game this weekend. That's obvious to everyone. But I think conversely, I think it shows Rosberg now a different commodity. Um, and, and so that's why, pound for pound, I think this is probably Rosberg's strongest ever Grand Prix weekend. It's tricky, and we and Mercedes obviously has a history of dealing with this kind of problem, but we talk about Red Bull or Ferrari needing to always try something different to Mercedes because it's the only way you can beat them. In a situation like Hamilton found himself in in Singapore where he was the slower car and he also had the disadvantage of being further back, how important is it him, as we heard over the radio, to, to try a different strategy, and how hard is it for Mercedes to give him one when there's so, such a delicate team harmony at stake? Well, it's very, very interesting, this, you know, because... He he wanted something earlier on to give him a chance to attack um, Ricardo, and and they didn't give him a, a softer tire set, you know, earlier on in the Grand Prix to try and try and maybe switch him to a three stop to try and put some pressure on Ricardo. Um, but then later in the race, they had nothing to lose because there was no challenge from behind. He had a big gap back to. Um, uh, Vettel in fifth, you know, who's going to finish in fifth coming through from the back. So they put him on, they brought him in and put him on a set of super softs. And that, of course, was became immediately an undercut attempt on Raikkonen. Now, Ferrari didn't need to bite on that. Uh, and, you know, they could just leave Raikkonen out because he would easily have made the finish on the soft tire. But they did bite, of course, lost the position, the track position. And, and that also handed a gift to Red Bull and Ricardo, who would dearly love at that point to have been able to come in, put a softer tire set on and go out and attack Rosberg in the closing stages. And once that whole process was triggered by Mercedes themselves <laughs> for Hamilton's behalf to get him on the podium, it, 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 the consequence of it was massive pressure on their lead driver and, the, and pressure for the victory. So it's, it was a, that was extraordinarily risky in, in one way for Mercedes. And I'll tell you why. is because when Ricardo came out of the pits after his stop on the faster tyre set, with Rosberg on softs that were going to be um, degrading as the rest of the race went on, if there had been a safety car at any point in the remainder of the Grand Prix, those remaining 16, 17 laps, Rosberg would have been stuffed because he'd have had Ricardo right behind him at the restart on a fresher, faster set of tyres. So it was, it was, <laughs> you know, it was putting, it was giving Hamilton a chance of a podium, but really putting some pressure on their lead driver. And you know what I take away from that? I take away from that that Mercedes really felt confident in where Rosberg was at this weekend. You know, he had driven brilliantly in qualifying, one of his best ever qualifying laps. 
and and they just felt he was so on his A game that he could cope with it, and it proved to be correct. Pressure on lead driver and maybe team management. <laughs> Anything untoward happened by the end of that race? I think uh, a couple of things to unpack from that domino effect, as you pointed out, that happened uh, at the third stops, which weren't expected by the time we got to that part of the race. This isn't the first time we've seen Ferrari decide to gamble or even just give up track position, and it tends to be at races where overtaking is not always that easy. And I mean, this is a prime example, obviously being a street circuit how line ball was that call and in your opinion do you feel i mean with retrospect of course we can say that but do you feel like that was the right decision at the time no i don't think it was i think it's always risk reward the whole strategy game is risk reward um what was the risk of, of leaving raikkonen out uh the risk is that he's on same he'd be in a similar situation to rosberg he's on a he's on a he's on a wearing a, a used soft tire set towards the end of the grand prix Suffering more degradation as time goes on with a faster car, Hamilton, on a softer tyre set coming through to attack him. So maybe Hamilton will pass him before the end. And that's one option, one possibility. And maybe there'll be a safety car, in which case Hamilton will be behind him at the restart on a faster, softer tyre set. So in both of those scenarios, the risk is that he maybe ends up fourth. By pitting him, you've got a very strong chance you're going to end up fourth because you're going to get, you've been undercut. So that's what happened. And they lost, and they lost the, the podium position anyway. So from, from my point of view, I think they made the wrong decision to, um, to pit him. The only mitigating consideration is the, the safety car one, which is that if there were to be a safety car uh, in the final uh, 18 laps of the race, at least by pitting him, uh, he would be, on, uh, he would be uh, on a soft tyre set and able to fight with Hamilton. But again, that requires Ferrari to have turned him round quickly enough to get him back out in front of Hamilton, which they weren't able to do. So I, I think there's a, unfortunately, and it pains me to say it, I think that the strategy guy, Rueda, who came from Renault with James Allison, you know, now that Allison has gone, you know, I think his sort of comfort uh, group around him, if you like, the, the support within the team is, must be a bit, a bit thin on the ground, I would have thought, especially with some of the calls that have been made this season. And, and, and I think that looked to me like a bit of a, I think that was a classic piece out of the James Vowles playbook, who's the Mercedes strategist, trying to force the issue with Ferrari to see if they'd bite. It was a fishing mission. He tossed in a, a, a hook with a nice, tasty-looking bit of bait on it just to see whether Ferrari, the Ferrari salmon would jump on it. And sure enough, it did. And thank you very much. And then we'll have the podium for Hamilton. And as a final note on this uh, front-running battle, Daniel Ricciardo, of course, we can't not mention him. He's the man who sort of brought that race for the, the lead alive in the final uh, so many laps, however many it was, with the super soft tyres. It got very close, down to half a second uh, after he, ma- he moved through the traffic at that final lap. But more importantly, I guess, how critical is a difficult word to use, perhaps, but how, how shattered must Red Bull be, given that this was, and they've openly admitted it, their best chance for the rest of the year to win a race and to fall short by that much and, and possibly not have any more prospects for the rest of the year? Well, I, you know, I don't think they can uh, be too unhappy. I think they gave it their best shot. They gave it their best shot in qualifying and they gave it their best shot in the race. And ultimately, Rosberg was just a little bit too strong. And, you know, there's not much you can really do about that. That's just a fact of life. Um, they would need Mercedes to have been slightly off the game as they were last year in order to have won it. They needed to get the pole. They didn't get the pole. You know, I, I don't think I think Dan had one of his strongest weekends of the season. You know, you can't do much more than that. Um, mm-hmm. Is it is it all over for them now? No, not at all. Suzuka is a possibility. The car will be wonderful at Suzuka, um, and you never know. It might rain, which it <laughs> quite often does. And they are 
they are stronger than Mercedes in the rain. There's no that's there's, that's definitely uh, a possibility. And the other one I would think would be Abu Dhabi. I, I think that Ricardo would have a shot in Abu Dhabi. Um, so it's not all over. He'd love to get his win, of course, to make up for the win that was taken away from him in Monaco. But uh, I think he can hold his head up. I think he's a wonderful season. And of course, the thing from his point of view is to go into the winter with that feeling of of of, of that hunger, that that consolidation of everything that's been achieved so far. Because I think. 2017 is Dan Ricciardo's best chance of winning a world championship. One of the standouts of the race, though, didn't finish at the front at all. It was Sebastian Vettel. He started last. He says possibly the first time he started last in his Formula 1 career. Finished just behind Raikkonen and uh, a little more than 20 seconds off the race lead. An extraordinary result that lent largely on the softest tyre, the ultra-soft tyre. I mean, for our reason, inherent pace always seems to be there on the softer tyre, just never when they're running it to the very front. Yeah, frustrating weekend for him. As I say, he wasn't the fastest Ferrari driver for... A lot of the weekend, maybe he was holding something back uh, and would have shown us in quali what he was holding back, which is in fact what Ricardo did against Verstappen. Verstappen looked the faster Red Bull driver all weekend until Q3 when Ricardo went, there you go, son, take a bit of that and stuck <laughs> it on the front row. And, and Verstappen's like, oh, my God, he couldn't get the front tires quite where he wanted them. And he realized that Ricardo had been holding a couple of aces up his sleeve all weekend. And it may well be that Vettel planned something similar, but never got a chance to do it because he had technical problems. But um, I'm not sure. Time will tell. It's not the first time Vettel's come through the field because he did it famously in Abu Dhabi a few years ago from the pit lane. And, and he's wonderful at it. And actually, I interviewed him in the pen afterwards for uh, American NBC Sports. And he, I, he was as happy as I've seen him, you know, without a race win from the day. It was, he'd had an absolutely wonderful evening. He really enjoyed himself and, and was very, very happy with his performance. So, you know, sometimes a, a run through the field from the back to fifth is as sweet as a race win. And finally, uh, the other standout performer strategically was Sergio Perez. Did we dare think a one-stop race around Singapore could be possible? Because that's pretty much what he did when he pitted uh, off his ultra-soft and onto the soft behind the safety car. I guess that's just vintage Perez, isn't it, to go do that kind of thing? It's vintage Perez. It's vintage Force India as well. Bernadette Collins there at Force India. She's um, She's been there quite a few years now, working with various different strategy teams. And they always they always like to try and do something different. Um, uh, Tom McCulloch there, who's the chief race operations engineer, is a smart cookie, and he always likes to just to sort of ying when everyone else is yanging. And and they have a track record of doing this at Singapore. I think 2012 and 2013, Paul DeResta did one stop fewer than everybody else in the field and came through to get a fourth and a fifth, I believe, in those two seasons. You know, against the against the run of play, and and it was just another case of that really. In Perez, they've got a driver who's capable of delivering long stints whilst not losing the pace. Um, and he's proven that time and time again. Uh, so, you know, it was it was vintage Paris. I, when I spoke to him about it after the race, he was he was mildly naffed off that he'd actually come out behind that safety car, that early safety car. As you say, he'd come out, I think, um, I can't remember who he's behind. It Was it Kafia? He came out behind another car anyway that, that he felt it had cost him a little time. He reckons he could have done even better without that. Um, but nevertheless, you, you know, to go from 17th on the grid to uh, eighth at the finish, um, he thoroughly enjoyed it. And in fact, he told me, in the pen after the race that he felt that was probably one of his very strongest drives if not the strongest drive in Formula 1 so he joins the club along with Ricardo and Vettel and Rosberg who felt after that race that they had and Kafiat as well actually who told me in the pen that he had rediscovered his love of Formula 1 as a result of this Grand Prix uh, so so he was one of the five that were genuinely and Magnus as well actually six drivers mm. really really happy with their night's work it was a good race strategically. And just before I let you go, I'll ask for a single sentence gut instinct response after the result of this weekend. 
What do we think about Nico Rosberg now? He's written off earlier in the season. Is this really going to go down to the wire? Well, I'm, I'm funny you should say that, Michael, because I'm preparing a post at the moment for my uh, website, and which is basically asking the question, does Rosberg now deserve to be 2016 world champion? Because maybe we reached a tipping point on Sunday, where if you look back and you look at his polls, I think he's got eight polls or something this year and eight wins or whatever. And, and you know, it's very unusual for a driver who's, who gets those kind of numbers not to be world champion. And I know that Hamilton's had his problems you know, with reliability and power unit uh, letdowns and what have you. But I think that Rosberg now, on the balance of what we've seen this season, I think he deserves to be the world champion this year now. And, but he's taking nothing for granted because his teammate is just so strong when he's on his A game. You could see it in Hamilton's eyes on Thursday and he just didn't deliver across the weekend. But, but you know what Hamilton's like. He could just as easily turn up in Malaysia, stick it on mm-hmm. pole by half a second <laughs> on Saturday afternoon and, uh, and, and give Rosberg a, a, another uh, drubbing. So, you know, that's what makes it so unpredictable between them. But personally, I've, I, personally I, I'm beginning to feel now that Rosberg deserves to be the champion. Let's hope the tension at least lasts beyond Malaysia. A more perfect and convenient plug it couldn't have been either. If you want to read that, James Allen on F1.com. James, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the programme. Thank you so much. No problem, Michael. Speak to you again soon. Thank you. And that's all the time we have for this edition of The Strategy Report. If you want to read more about the strategy of the Singapore Grand Prix, go to f1strategyreport.com for Jack Leslie's write-up of all the action from Marina Bay, or search for F1 Strategy Report on Facebook or Twitter. If you're a bit of a keyboard warrior, like me, but you have to record your sport, Tweewind lets you time-shift sporting events without missing out on the Twitter experience. Find out for yourself, Tweewind is available on iOS and Android devices. My name's Michael Laminato, you can find me at Michael Laminato on Twitter, and be sure to join me in two weeks' time when we look back on the Malaysian Grand Prix.